And welcome to the Avance Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Nick. And uh, our guest this week is Casey Poosh. Poosh, am I saying that right? Poosh, like put your money where your mouth is. You'd think I'd, I've heard it a hundred times, think they'll say it. I mean, yeah, but you know, when I see him on VinWiki, it's just, it's just Casey. So I, I don't <laughs> think of it that way, so yeah. <laughs> I cannot wait to talk about your cars. Uh, oh, our, we're we're going to start with our Carter, Carter Automotive Group tip of the week, which is uh, one of your cars I, I really liked. And I, it doesn't apply to this one, but it did it did remind me of it. I mean, one of my favorite cars that I've had. So my C7 Z06 had an interesting feature that a lot of people with C7s in general and other GMs have never touched. And that is the full throttle upshift. You can full throttle shift mm. that car. It's one of the few, full car, one of the few cars that you use. It's no lift shifting is what it's called. Okay. And specifically, it's made for drag racing, shocking people in Corvettes drag race. I know. Probably not well. They usually end up in a ditch. Your car scared me enough just shifting from first to second. I didn't want to. I don't want to be full throttle into it and then try to shift it. So I'm good. Yeah. So it's really it was really only a GM thing up until 2020. The only other car, and this was actually hard to find because even trying to find, I'd never did it in mine, for, for the record, because I am terrified of what would happen if I got that wrong. Yeah, okay. Like, yeah. If you've ever full throttle upshifted anything, you probably have a purpose-built drag race car. You're talking like full pedal, I mean, yep, no pedal the ground, slam the clutch, slam the gear. Yep. Okay. And it'll automatically yeah, definitely never done cut that. the spark. Yeah, okay. pretty crazy, right? Well, Chevrolet has this in a few cars, and if you have your owner's manual, <laughs> you should check this out because it's... Pretty cool thing from everything I've seen, but one of the funny ones on this list, this is just kind of a cool thing. Okay, the Chevrolet HHR SS oh. has it. The Cobalt SS. I get that. Cadillac ATSV Makes sense there. Okay. Corvette, Camaro. Seeing a trend yeah, here. I'm, yeah, I get that. The Buick Regal GS with oh, the optional that's, transmission. That's the one I was waiting for. <laughs> that's the one I was waiting for as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and then the Hyundai Veloster N from 2020 on. Now, okay. uh, I did see references to it in the Mustang, but I couldn't find somebody actually doing it. New this, Mustangs. This, and this doesn't void your warranty? like no, with this Nate? is in okay. the manual. Okay. And, mm. you know, it's, it was cool with having the rev matching downshifting, but having, you know, literally full throttle shifting, <sighs> no lift shift. I don't think, I'm thinking if I was telling my brain to do that, that I could do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so wait, what does it do? It cuts spark? Cuts spark. Okay. And then holds, and then you just literally should put it in the next gear. Oh. And as soon as the clutch comes back up, puts it back in. Okay. And so. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Because dumb shit me would probably end up putting it in reverse or something, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so cool feature. Those of you with those cars, you should check it out under in a closed course, in optimal com- conditions, in a space where you can get it wrong. But yeah. yeah, read your owner's manual. It's in there. It's just one of those things that I stumbled across just the other day. I was talking to somebody about Corvettes and somebody mentioned it to me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot it even had that. I knew it had it because I'm one of those ones who read the owner's manual cover to cover. They don't talk about that in the sales brochure. when they. When can you imagine something? that on a test drive? <laughs> yes, I can. It'd make for some great YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Some great, terrible YouTube. But anyway, uh, yeah, that's your automotive group tip of the week. Just something cool to know. Cool feature. You don't see it very often, and you probably will see it go away as fast as manual transmissions are. It never really caught on in a lot of other cars, but sad. Eh, yeah, yeah, sad to see. But our guest this week has a lot of cars with manual transmissions, uh, and a lot of very cool cars. Uh, Casey, you do a lot. <laughs> yeah, I uh, man, I across the board, you know, build, uh, race when I can. Uh, I like to mentor students. I guess it all just stemmed from. Wanted to race, so I want to go fast, and uh, I like cool stuff. And I couldn't afford to race, and I couldn't afford to buy cool stuff, so I had to build cool stuff, and hopefully build cool stuff that goes fast, and that uh, I can at least trade up with, and keep 
trying to go fast. So uh, <laughs> eventually I got pretty good at building things and uh, it's, it's nice to help out young people do that so I can get jobs too. I have to say this, you're the first guy I've met with a Batmobile. So, um, yeah. Well, used to have one. <laughs> used to have used a Batmobile. Okay, you're the only guy I know that used to have a Batmobile. So. I, and mine idled at 20,000 RPM, so that was cool. Oh. I was going to say, for okay. the guests that don't know, he had the cool Batmobile. For me, yeah, the, the always Batmobile, the coolest yes. Batmobile, the King yeah. Batmobile, the Michael Keaton 1989 Batmobile with the jet engine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, um, you know, I'd so- seen a few people building, uh, you know, little hot rods, nothing too special, out of a body that traced its uh, origin from the original movie car. And, um, you know, I, I was thinking, well, in fiction, it was supposed to be, you know, turbo jet engine or turbine engine. And so I started looking into it and looking into it and looking into it. And eventually I figured out a way how to, I could get a uh, Vietnam era drone anti-submarine helicopter engine um, that was You can get those on eBay, have... right? I mean, that yeah. seems like- No, I did, dude. Seriously. I yeah. had a freaking guy. <laughs> yeah. Like a lot of them got pushed into like the ocean outside of Vietnam after the war. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they lost. Yeah. It was this little, <clears throat> it was this little helicopter, right? That had counter-rotating props, kind of like a cheap early drone or a little like- regular helicopter people get but this is like vietnam era and big and uh it was controlled via radio frequencies and it could fly like 80 miles away from the ship or something carry two torpedoes so uh yeah the engine was perfect for a batmobile go figure and i I coupled it to a general motors four-speed automatic that i modified so it'd be a semi-automatic shifter and i had one tachometer for the gas generator that idled it 20 grand its maximum was forty thousand rpms and then i had a second tachometer for the output shaft of the uh, torque converter. And then so I would just uh, use the throttle to make thrust. And then uh, you look at the second tachometer and you just shift it uh, when I hit the RPMs you need, which would be about five, 6,000 RPMs. It's pretty cool. Well, you went up to Vector. <laughs> I, I think I think yeah. that's the first story where you actually, I, I watched you. I think it, it must have been the Vin Wiki story, like the first time I ever saw you and you were talking about cruising around in that and the, and the stories. And I will encourage people to go watch that because there's a lot of good stories with that. <laughs> yes. It was classic. The, uh, yes. I think the high point of the one story was uh, pulling out from this uh, weird dirt road that was under the highway with graffiti and we're taking photos of it and the people had gone. And it was this weird, like tiny abandoned dirt road, like in downtown Columbus. And, you know, no one can see you coming. There's trees and walls and stuff. So I pop out in the Batmobile and I was like, I got to turn left to go. There's a big intersection. And I didn't want to, I couldn't really do that safely. So I was like, I'll turn right. But when I look to the right, I see like, I'm not kidding, like at least a thousand people dressed as weird, creepy clowns. Okay. <laughs> now, this is a, this is a normal okay. day, yeah. evening in Columbus. And I'm like, uh, and so they see the Batmobile and they see me and then they see me seeing them and they start kind of skitzing out. And I didn't realize it, but just a quarter mile down the road uh, was the LC Music Pavilion, and ICP was going to play that night. So these are all like jug- <laughs> these are different jug- types of clowns. Yeah, like yeah. probably tripping balls already. You know, on yep. God knows what, they all start losing their mind because there's the Batmobile pulling out. So this trip I pull went bad. out. I, I want to yeah, know the no, conversation uh, the next day. Like somebody's like, I think I saw the Batmobile last night, dude. No, you didn't. No, people rem- like there were people that saw that, remembered it years later for the Van Wiki story and even comment on it. It was great. But suffice to say, awesome. I had to pull out right by the clowns. I came out of there quick. There was a lot of dirt on the tires and it was dry. So I ended up coming out at a full power slide. 
And um, and at that moment, I'm like, I'm just going to go with it. These clowns start jumping out in the street, freaking out. So I just raised the uh, machine gun, started firing blanks, and got on the PC uh, going, die, clowns, die! (laughs) (laughs) Ripping down the road. Okay. You know? It's great. I think we're missing out. We need to be in Ohio. Washington definitely does not have that. that. I I couldn't even. I I can't even make that up. Like that. That's literally literally (laughs) what happened. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now that our audience that wasn't familiar with you knows what kind of person you are, I've got to ask: How did you get your start? Because I mean, you really are a jack of all trades and a master of most. That's one of the things I love about your channel: artist, engineer, racer. Like you've done. You've done well, and it's awesome to see. I I just haven't figured out that getting rich part yet. uh, I'm working on that. Well, you're not suffering. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I'm not rich enough to go racing where I want to, though. But we'll work on that. <laughs> we'll work on that. That is the main goal that you bring up. I, I will say that you're consistent about that. Yeah. The fact that that's what racing, you want to do is go mean? racing. So, yeah, yes. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. Nothing wrong with that. No, you're fine. I mean, I'm the one with ADHD. Meds are wearing off. It's going to be you. It's going to get cut off. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. No, I appreciate it. It's really nice of you. I, uh, you know, I got started with the cars uh, from my dad. Um, you know, I remember when I was a little kid, he would, uh, take my brother and I to mid Ohio, you know, we go to the motorcycle races, we go to vintage races, indie cars, anything that was there. And, you know, back in the day, IMSA was still around and my little brother and I were in love with GTP cars, you know, the red, white, and blue Nissan and, yep. um, so later cool. was WS. Yeah. And later was WSC series. We'd like go stand on the pedestrian bridge just so we could lose our hearing for a Ferrari 333 SP ripping underneath with a V12, you know, and. And that was uh, meant a lot. That was that was our culture. You know, that was our love. And my dad was into radio control cars when I was a little kid, you know, and building those and uh, slot cars. Um, so I grew up building in the garage and trying to, you know, fix things and build things with my dad. And, you know, he had some little British cars, you know, he had a Mini, a Morgan, Ford Model A, a 67 Corvette when I was really little. And then he sold it before the they got worth a lot of money in like late 80s, early 90s. He was always bummed. But, you know, that's that's what we grew up doing, you know, and working with our hands. So it, it's, uh, it's interesting. And that's something I try to cultivate with some young people is that it, it all started from slot cars and Legos and radio control cars, you know, and fixing the toys that you break. And that, that transitions perfectly to real cars. Yeah, really does. And so the, let's talk about the, let's talk about the kids and education part of this the genius garage. Totally. Really. Uh, yeah. how did you, how did that all start? And actually just, just give our audience, Give us the overview of Genius Garage. Uh, so Genius Garage is a 501c3 public educational charity. I've been doing it for about nine years now. And uh, I think the best way to describe it is to explain, like, why I did it kind of in short. Um, you know, I had an unfulfilling college experience. Um, I was kind of caught between art and design and engineering. Uh, I didn't think there was good mentorship or leadership for getting a direction. And, you know, after college, I really fought hard to have a shop and, build cars and eventually get to where I was restoring cars for people or race prepping cars, things like that. Right. And obviously doing my own thing. And, um, I was mentoring a bunch of college engineering students, uh, because you can graduate a four year degree in college and never turn a screwdriver, which is absolutely insane. And, um, sad. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. And I was mentoring college engineering students with fabrication and building and uh, electric uh, Grand Prix motorcycles, just a bunch of stuff at the time. And so I was working with them and I was seeing what they were needing. And I'd been out in the real world industry and knowing high end people and industry leaders long enough that I, I kind of knew what they needed. And I was sitting in my shop way back when, you know, and there's 
place to create. There's like a Lola T70 Spider, Dotson race car, things of my own, all this cool stuff. And I thought, you know, it just it, like it literally hit me where it was a moment of um, <laughs> purity of, uh, you know, just like trying to make the world better, which in itself is insane and doesn't work as well as people think it does. And it's a really, really hard <laughs> battle, which I learned. Yeah. Um, but it was the thought was simple. If I'm going to be involved with cars and airplanes and racing and stuff anyway, I should do it in a way that matters. Because uh, I remember years before that, I was at Watkins Glen driving a Formula Ford. And, uh, you know, there's I had like one friend with me. There's nobody there watching me. I spent a lot of time and money to do this. And I, I remember going up the S's on the back straightaway, literally in the race, thinking like, what am I doing? This this doesn't really actually matter to anybody. I, I, I don't know if that was, that's not a normal thought. But, you know, every once in a while, you have a thought pop in your head. And, um, you know, at the shop, I just thought, hey, if I'm going to be involved with this stuff, I should make it matter. So... Um, the idea for Genius Garage was born and the curriculum wrote itself because, you know, bringing young people together in a way that they can be a team and they have somebody that's a mentor and a leader, understands what they need, help cultivate them as a team, help them grow, uh, give them a shot to work on something that no one would let them touch. And then when they're done, uh, they would have gained uh, self-confidence and hand skill and, and fabrication and a lot of interpersonal skills and such, but also doing something so high level that nobody could ignore them. And uh, and that's what we did. The first year we had an old Indy car, uh, you know, and um, it's just amazing the careers it's launched since then. That's so cool. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I, I had a pleasure of interviewing Lynn St. James a couple of years ago, and we were talking about that being a dying art and the fact of those of us with vintage cars and being able to, to bend metal and shape metal with your hands. And, you know, I, I joke sometimes and say it's the, the kind of the Jesse James thing, but I think that's something that really needs to be taught because so many people are not, they don't want those skills. And I don't understand that. Obviously people like us get it, but. Sure. Well, you know, it, it's actually possibly a more simple answer to what happened than you may realize. I would say when I was younger in the 80s and 90s, uh, we started pushing college preparatory directions so much more in high school. And the students that would go into the trades at the vocational school, which is frankly what I wanted to do when I was in high school, but they wouldn't let me because, you know, I had to go to college or whatever. Um, they kind of looked down on it as being blue collar. I grew up in a small Midwestern yep. town. That's what they did. And it was kind of lame because all the cool stuff was the vocational school, you know, like electrical, machining, all that stuff. But it was separate. And the a, diff, a difficulty is colleges, um, and this grew over time, but have largely been able to dilute their majors and become somewhat predatory because uh, student loans cannot be defaulted on. So you yeah. get these kids that are 17 years old getting $100,000 loans for anything and the college just will effectively sell you out to the salt mines and it doesn't matter as much so uh, you know our society because of that just went gaga over college and then gaga over things that are easily repeatable with no liability so why would you have them in a shop working and actually building anything when they can just sit behind a computer or maybe 3d print something little and that's that's what happened <laughs> i mean it's it's kind of simple and i'll give you an example indycar right now desperately needs high-end mechanics and techs and engineers they don't have any to the point where bush yeah. Myers, 67 years old and they're begging to hire him he's like nah screw you guys <laughs> um but uh <laughs> yeah. it's uh, it's a thing everywhere and um it's uh it's not a simple solution uh but it's a simple way for us all to realize what happened so hopefully people can actually go after what they want to want to I, I think we're hitting that that's point. the best answer i've heard yeah, in years ever. thank you yeah <laughs> so for simplifying well, that yes. I, I do I've think gotten... we're sitting seeing a resurgence in it yeah <laughs> yeah no i i think so i think so and i've got nine years of heartaches and blood sweat and tears and helping and pushing and fighting the world to make it better to 
to to back up my claim. <laughs> well, I mean, in the sense that, like, right now, even just if you own anything that needs work, good luck. Because if you need, oh yeah, elect- if you need an electrician, a plumber, an HVAC guy, yeah, they're three to six months out and they're picking their work. Oh, they're like, no, nah, I don't sure. do that. It's too small. Like, learn it on YouTube because I've got bigger yeah. jobs. They're going to pay me three times as much, and I'll just pick the ones I want to do. And so, like, I mean. Automotive technicians, everybody in a trade is hiring and paying well now, finally. But I mean, it's like we took that big dip and then we had that massive shortage. And I think we're in that point now where everybody's realizing how big that shortage is because like the housing market got bought out and now everybody's like, now we can't work on these houses we bought. (laughs) So that's me. Yeah. (laughs) My my rent. Uh, (laughs) I think most important thing for young people by the time they get into college they need to buy their own toolbox it could just be a basic toolbox with the basics in it but that that's your key to the world you know i've, I've got a, a basic toolbox nothing crazy i built all my cars with that you know and just a few power tools my wife and i bought a fixer upper house thank god right before the market exploded and and all that work and you know um young I, I i hope that young people realize that they too can fix and build things you know me too i mean you're talking to a guy who has a giant uh is a really nice really like, nice milwaukee <laughs> toolbox in his living room, milwaukee, living room. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so i mean I, I was literally working on a a project a, a, a honda monkey in my living room last last night did you yeah. bleed oh, the brakes in the living room i did lead the bre- the brakes in the living room yeah <laughs> probably should be very careful about talking about that considering i said i rent so uh <laughs> oh i've yeah. been there done that i once had a landlord yeah. look in the window go to my wife i was in home she's like is that a motorcycle in there and my wife's like no no that's a static model it doesn't run that it's art it's half art true. <laughs> yeah good wife i, I have uh, a beautiful, it doesn't run yeah. that's why it's in here getting fixed <laughs> Wait, hold on here i'm gonna yeah. turn around to the foyer there's a, you'll notice a ducati sitting right there oh nice. very nice yeah, yeah. okay keep, yeah that's where it belongs yeah yeah exactly. that's, that's, that's right dang straight dang yes. straight yeah i had my rc51 in my living room in the winters for a couple Ooh, years behind nice, the couch it fit nice. perfectly behind the couch yeah couch table yeah. Yeah. that's an expensive couch table yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> it looks good in there though sure sure yeah. didn't leak anyone let i mean talk about a little bit about something so if somebody is interested in this program i mean how yeah. what, what do they learn how can they learn how can they be involved in it with regard to genius garage yeah with, with genius yeah. garage sorry yeah. yes i apologize sure um the biggest trick for me for me is that all the people who do it myself that put the time in we don't get paid so you know, our resources can only go so far. So typically we'll do right about a five, six month program once a year, it usually starts early in the year. Um, we'll do a shout out on the website and social media and my own relating to taking some uh, applications and such. So typically college age students, uh, sometimes a little older, you know, undergrad, postgrad, typically mechanical engineering students, but you get people who are mechanics that want to be tech. I had a guy that went to, I think, UTI for a couple of years and they totally fed him a line afterward. He, it, just wasn't able to go anywhere and i'm like come on kid come you know come over to genius garage let's do a race car and he's got an amazing job working on nothing but exotic cars for extreme uh experience right now so he's really happy but um that's it you apply those never break and those things yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah right it's job <laughs> yeah. security there you know right Especially yeah if you got a mclaren <laughs> um, exactly but but um yeah, they apply with a resume and a cover letter. Um, and the the beauty of it is there is no charge to students to be able to come. And that was really important to me because I wanted to be able to choose students based on what's in their head and their hearts and not because of what their last name is or what they're worth. 
Um, so, you know, maybe someday we get bigger, there'll be tuition, but they'll, I will always ensure there'll be scholarships and full scholarships for the, the right people. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been able to do that because I'm crazy and care and didn't mind putting eight, nine years of my life in, um, and not getting anything tangible back, but uh, I think it matters. And I think also by being able to be on YouTube, um, and being real and honest and, and showcasing things with Genius Garage, I've also seen how that's inspired thousands of people. So, you know, there, there's a, there's effects out there, both tangible and intangible. And, uh, I think it's been very positive. Well, th thank yeah. you for doing it. Yeah, thank those, you very much. Those of us with vintage British sports cars appreciate having people be able to work on them. So thanks. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> so. but but I, we got no, I can't help your masochism though. Yeah, uh, that's different. <laughs> that's a lot <laughs> different. I yeah. uh, you accept that? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Well, I mean, it's working on cars and stuff like that. It's it's like what they tell carpenters. How do you start? How do you learn to uh, start working with wood? You start cutting wood. Yep. And you start working on your car yeah. and it's uh we locally have a, a company called stew's garage which is like you can go to a place where if you don't have all the tools you don't have all that stuff you can literally just drive your car there and they have lifts full full tool sets and not necessarily like instruction over your shoulder but they'll have somebody there who can walk you through the basic stuff if you need to do your brakes something like that they're not going to do it for you like there's in fact right. they're not allowed to but they'll be like hey we can give you some tips we've seen a hundred of these in here which is what most people need to do and yeah the mm -hmm. shop's going to charge you six eight hundred bucks but you know buy the parts and you can probably do it yourself for about half that. Yeah. And if you don't have those skills, like those resources are out there. You can resource. They're also there. So you don't drop the lift on yourself. That too. Yeah. 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 That's also yeah. Yeah. pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I'm glad, I'm just so glad people are still pushing this because there's so many people I've helped at work and, you know, and I work in a tech company full time and that are just like, Hey, can you help me with my car? And I'm like, dude, I've seen the work you do. You can do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You, know, you can design a data center. You can <laughs> you can do your breaks. Um, Indeed. Well, you are a man of adventures. I want to talk know, to you about some of those adventures. So. <laughs> what do you got? Allegedly, I've got a few. I've got a few. Yeah, I've a seen few. bioluminescent algae dolphins glowing off the coast of France from a tall ship, and I've I've also pulled nine Gs and F sixteen. So we got some other ones in there too. <laughs> yeah. You're a man who's lived. I love that. Um, I was laughing a post you made not too long ago. It was, it was a while ago, but with the uh, um, Mercy Lago. Uh oh, and you drove how many <laughs> yeah. miles uh -oh. with that thing? Your wife was oh, in, seven months pregnant when she was along with you. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, uh, how many miles or how many miles an hour? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, no. We'll keep the ingredients. It's has it been long enough to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, yeah, um, I, I can answer in intangible uh, um, quantities. <laughs> Anybody? He drove to Mexico with a seven-month pregnant wife? Yeah, I know. Yeah, okay. right? I, yeah. I converted all the speeds and units to furlongs per fortnight. Uh, nobody knows what that, that. I'm sorry. But anyway, you're saying about the Murcielago. How did you convince you this road trip with seven months pregnant with this thing? Well, we're going to go down to Cars and Coffee in uh, you know Columbus, and my wife likes that. And, um, you know, uh, the Murcielago is cool. So I don't, I don't think I had to convince her. I'm like, you want to take the Murcielago? Yeah. I've just I've driven so, a few and I'm like that's a car you kind of have to crawl out of if you're larger, is. let alone seven my, months pregnant and just hard to move. My wife is cool and she's also got earphones in right now. But I will tell you this: the Mercy Lago has, <laughs> shit, that's good. The Mercy Lago has very tight bolsters. Like I I am a yeah. skinny white boy, right? Like I have to take my <laughs> wallet out of my you know out of my back pocket just to fit my little butt in there, right? Yeah, and so. 
as one does when they're pregnant. Their proportions may change some. Yeah. My wife is going, these seats do not. And I'm like, you're doing, doing a great job, though. So, yeah, she did great. You know, we put her luggage in the front, and um, she seemed to have fun with a trooper. It was a little less fun and slightly more stressful to her because the road trip in the Murcielago to Cars and Coffee was the first time I drove it in the United States. So all the driving I did was on Germany and the Autobahn. So, you know, we would cruise at 150, like chill. Uh, miles an hour, not kilometers. And so when we yeah. got here, I found it challenging to drive <laughs> in a manner befitting <laughs> of oh. motorists in America. <laughs> and the other before. problem, <laughs> <laughs> the other the other issue I found were people in lifted trucks in rural America. They they tend to get a get their panties in a bind and their ego and it's funny little <laughs> orange cars going by them. <laughs> And so this one guy with a really lifted truck and these tires, he thought, uh, I just cruise by. I'm like, he's sitting in the left lane like an idiot. So I cruise by on the right. <laughs> he's like, Ain't no way I'm letting that car do that. And so he, he starts accelerating and I didn't even downshift, but I'm like, like okay, we're doing a, we're, we're like, we're doing like a hundred right now. This is getting a little silly. So it's on my butt. I'm like, all right, dude, I'm pretty sure I can go speeds higher than when your tires will explode. And I don't mind watching you doing a barrel roll in my mirror. So let's see what happens. <laughs> uh, what happened was my wife was, do we really need to do this? And I'm like, we're kind of doing it now. <laughs> so, he challenged um, me. I have to. It's a guy code thing, honey. Yeah. Got to do it. Yeah. He, yeah. I mean, it's it's about it's fight or flight, guys. It's about safety. Agreed. Totally. Agreed. You were protecting right? her. You were you getting her to, away from the situation. Yeah. I I am playing to our strengths, and our strengths <laughs> are hot, nasty speed. <laughs> so, anyway. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. How many miles Always did you guys well. actually drive? Always well. What? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, I don't know. I was like two and a half hours down there and back, you know. Oh, it's not too bad. Okay. okay. In it, right. You know, drive around town and stuff. Yeah. yeah, it was not that bad. Yeah. yeah. She's, right a, she's cool. She's a trooper. <laughs> Very cool. Um, so, man, I don't even know where to start with your cars. Because I wanted to ask you about just car stories in general and adventures you've yeah. been on. Uh, <laughs> the Lycan is one I'm just jumping out to us now. Oh, but uh <laughs> Actually, I want to ask you though: Do you, if you have, do you have a favorite adventure? Like, is, if somebody, if you go back in your mind, and there's like this one pops up, and you're like, "This is the one I love," and it could be for all the wrong reasons. Like, this was a train wreck. I have one of those. I'm like, I love this story, but yeah. this is awful in every way. That that's a great question. You know, I, I'll first answer it by saying the f- favorite adventure is always the next one to come, uh, because yeah. you know, I I've discovered. I don't know if it's a personality defect or something, but I'm I'm definitely a goal-driven person, um, and I need goals. I, I'm not a maintenance-driven person, so I don't I don't think I would do well in a corporation, if you know. Um, but uh, with regard to favorite adventures, I, I think it comes down to moments, you know, like like magic moments and how many that can be in one. And honestly, I think that the most special one I ever did was um, I, I'd always wanted to sail on a tall ship. You know, like a square rig sailing ship in the 1800s, you know. And um, I had thought about it and, and uh, a good number of years ago. I was forging this grudge about nine, ten years ago now. And I decided it was it was winter, <laughs> which is a great time. And uh, I found two of them. I found a uh, clipper ship, a three-masted clipper ship, which actually is a re- replica of the Cuddy Sark, which is the same ship on the Cheap Scotch. <laughs> Um, (laughs) which was one of like the fastest sailing ships from the old tea trade days. And then, so that was in Europe. And then there was uh, another ship of some kind that was going to be down by the 
think the Galapagos and some of Darwin's uh, journeys. I thought that was cool, but I was like, no, the weather's going to be good down there. I want to, I want to sail through the North Sea in winter. Like that's, you know, that's sailing, right? Um, so I ended up connecting with it was called the Stad Amsterdam, city of Amsterdam, um, which is the ship was owned and commissioned by the guy that owns the Ronstadt Shipping Company that also sponsors F1. Um, and uh, they named it after Amsterdam. Uh, they put in, I think the city put in some money and it, it harbors there. But it goes to like special ports of call around the world uh, for, you know, like high level guests. Look at our flagship. It's so beautiful. Oh, you know what I mean? They have parties and things on it. I said good day. Yes. Yeah. Right. I say good day, sir. Um, good day. So it's, uh, you know, they'll go to Monaco for the F1 race and things like this. They'll go, they'll go to the, the, the Cayman Islands and things like this, but the ship has to go from place to place. So they'll do something called adventure sailing, where if you do that, they, they put you up and the ship is beautiful. Um, and it came out to like, I don't know, $150 a day, which is like a crummy hotel in America. And they feed you like what? So I yeah. signed up for adventure sailing from a mountain. But you're the crew, is, correct? You, yeah, if you want to be, but they're totally yeah. cool. If you just want to walk around and be cool, you can be oh. cool. Okay, but cool. I, I gotta be honest. Before I did this, I'm like, I don't know what I'm signing up for. Like, this could be nuts. Like, is this gonna be crewed by a bunch of Russians and I'll make them mad and they'll like chuck me overboard? I didn't know. No, seriously, I was I was ready for anything. And, and it was funny because I remember leaving Amsterdam and uh, just having a nice ride my bicycle around, going to like Rembrandt's house and stuff, and drinking espresso. And then I'm like, okay, we're gonna hit the sea. What's this gonna be like for I don't know, ten days or something? We go down to Portugal, and so I show up and, and I don't know what I was thinking. Like, this is going to be the 1800s and like women are bad luck on a sailing vessel. I'm not being sexist. That's like actually what people thought. <laughs> that was a thing they believed in. That's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, hey, no, it females, we will surely drown. David Jones is locked away. <laughs> the storms so are coming. <laughs> I, I show up with like my bag and to the, to the, uh, the ship. And I get greeted by these two beautiful blonde women and and the one that's crewing the ship. And I'm like, you're the crew? <laughs> and then this the other one, I'm, and she's like, I'm the doctor. I'm like, you're the doctor? And and so they grab my bag and I'm walking. And I walk in this, and the ship is beautiful. I'm like, oh, my God. This is like Star Trek, the next generation of the 1800s. <laughs> I, I was, that's what I thought. And I'm like, yeah, what what is this? And... I was the only person there from North or South America, or cl- obviously clearly American. I kind of took that as a, a bit of pride. The, the the captain was Swiss because you know they're a seafaring uh, a country, but, <laughs> but honestly, um, you know there are a lot of people from Europe, uh, someone from Australia. Uh, it was it was very interesting and a lot of fun, you know. And I went by myself, so you have to make new friends and new adventures. So it was fantastic. I learned a lot. Um, you know, climbing up on the rigging is terrifying, you know, and it was funny cause I remember climb, climbing up to, uh, haul up and stow a sail. And, uh, the woman from Australia that was crewing the ship, she, I don't know if she said, I'm like, there are two things I'm deeply afraid of. Do you know what they are? And I told her, I'm like heights and deep water. <laughs> um, so it was great. And I, I, seriously. And I remember one day they're great. like, do, do you want to climb out to the bowsprit? And that's uh, that's the pokey part off the front of the ship. Yeah, you know, it's the pokey part. Yeah, okay. right? The pokey part. That's a technical term. And um, <laughs> so we got a, a harness. I think we had a harness. Yeah, a harness where we could clip on. But you, you can't actually clip on everywhere. You know, there's places where it's just, just climbing. And um, so we're out over the Atlantic. Uh, the sun was shining uh, in our face. And uh, I remember... 
stepping over the railing of the ship uh, on the, uh, the starboard side there. And I remember thinking, holy crap, like, we're out in the middle of the Atlantic, like, bounding over waves, like, up and down. And, you know, the front and the back of the ship moved the most. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was also terrifying. And so we're climbing on these giant chains. And I remember looking at my my boots I was wearing because they're the same I used to ride horses in. And I'm climbing on these chains over, like, past the woman on the front of the ship, the carving, you know. And there are dolphins yeah. <laughs> riding the compression wave below me. And we're climbing out and out and out. And you get to the front and, like... The difference between the wave and where you were would change by, I don't know, 30 feet going up and down while you're climbing. And you're not clipped in until you get to a certain point. I remember climbing out there to a certain point. I'm just hanging on. I'm like, I'm good. We'll hang on here. Good. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, so if I fell here, would I survive this and would they notice? You know? Um, but um, Well, you're not going to go through the propeller, so that's the good news. <laughs> no, that's so. a good thing. Um, yeah. Maybe the dolphins will save me. So exactly. um, we, that happens all the time. It does. And so we go out there, but this was one of the most beautiful moments of my life. It's terrifying, but awesome. And um, when you, you know, and you're coming out there with uh, the bounty crew and I get at the front and I turn around and I told you the sun was at our face. But at this moment, the sun was um, pointing with me at the ship and the wind was at our back. So the, the sails, the beautiful square rig sails were all billowing and the sun was golden on the sails. And I turned around and it was just like, it took my breath away because the sun was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen as a ship at sail. And we were out on the pokey part, the bowsprit. And that is the focal point of literally all of the power of this 250 foot ship propelled by the wind that's at our backs. And I was literally at the focal point of that power blasting across the Atlantic. And it was, it was a very magical moment, you know, and two others, and I could go on forever about it, but you know, it's, there were a few other little, I'll just give you some bullet points. Um, it was a cool moment. We we're having a smoke break. People were smoking and drinking tea and some rich guy in a Learjet over the Atlantic must've saw it and told this guy to fly low. Cause all of a sudden a Learjet like blasts over our deck at like a hundred foot off the front. And that was kind of neat. Um, there was a, a moonless night off the coast of France where I was looking out over the water. And I'm like, what did I just see? And I looked down and you could see all the dolphins playing in the pitch black because the algae was glowing and it was, but you could see the dolphins glowing green, leaving trails as they played. And it was, it was truly like a fairy tale. I mean, it was amazing. And, uh, there's also a moment I remember standing on the deck one night and I was, I was looking up, uh, at the, uh, there were stars you could see through the clouds. And I was looking up at the stars, you know, you had your sea legs well. And that was the, the moment that I could feel that I wasn't touching earth because we're in a fluid, we're in the ocean, but I'm looking at the stars. Yes. And truly a moment, I was not drinking or smoking, by the way, <laughs> but I uh, <laughs> truly a moment, not to kill the moment, but you know, truly a moment <laughs> where the earth fell away. <clears throat> And I yeah. only felt as though I was in the stars. And I, I I don't know if I could ever replicate that moment, but that was a moment where if you ever see like a fairy tale or an animation or something where you see a sailing ship sailing through the stars, as campy as this may seem, that is exactly what we were doing. Uh, and it was, it was, it was incredible. I felt like we were literally in a sailing ship in space. 
Um, and uh, that's an inspiring moment. <laughs> and I feel like Truly. my whole life has been a failure, and I've never done anything like that. <laughs> so, Dude, let's go adventure. I want to go sail on a pokey thing. <laughs> yes, yes. But yes. there's other fun moments. So the second in command was a great Polish guy. He had a great accent. It's like. He's like, Casey, in Poland, I tell you, the best farm animal is goat. Because you can milk goat, or if it's cold, you can cuddle with goat, or you can eat goat. <laughs> like, you know, so, and I had a great time to do accents. And He's not he wrong. And I became, yeah. He, yeah, no, I'm not wrong. And he and I became yeah, good no, friends no, no. over this. And uh, the best thing was, we sail into Portugal, into Porto. You know, like, the, the ancient, yeah. that's where everybody's ever, like, Vasco da Gama would have sailed in there, you know. But nowadays, it's an international shipping port. So let's be real. Ports are not like the. It's not like the south of France. It's maybe kind of like more. It's of a not Monaco, is what you're saying, right? We're yeah. in Portugal, and we just ripped into the international sailing port in like the 1800 Starship Trip Enterprise, and we're all like, "Let's go party! <laughs> Who wants to go to the disco?" You know. So here we are, and we're just going through. And I remember going over a walking bridge and something at this, this, uh, I don't, can I curse on the show by the way? Yes, know. absolutely. Oh, good. That's okay. Fair. So I, you know, I prefer to say what people said. So we're going, we're just like laughing and we're trying to go into Porto to, you know, have fun. And, uh, we're walking through the, the port to this thing. And, and somebody, and somebody goes, is that a pool of blood? And I'm like, yeah. And it's fresh. And I remember this Australian girl's like, fuck me dead. And I'm like, I think that might've been what happened. Let's go. Yeah. That's, that's exactly <laughs> so, what happened. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, some fun moments, but, um, I got, I got more, but we'll, we'll cut it there. Huh. So the, sail, the sailing ship was good. <laughs> what? Huh. <laughs> what? No, I just um, the ending. The sailing ship was good. <laughs> the sailing exactly. ship was good. I mean, like somebody might have died. It was good. We went to disco. Mom, camp is good. I'm fine. Blood of pool, pool blood. We're good. Yeah, no, like on. There's, yeah. there's no more to that story. The only part of the story is we got like a Mercedes taxi cab, and um, yeah. they they uh, what was the word? They like distracted the driver because we had too many people to fit in. And, and I I didn't get in the second one, but the captain was with us. He just like dove in the floor underneath people's feet. So the taxi cab driver didn't realize they had it overloaded and on the way back i was hearing the story of like they were trying to explain to the portuguese taxi driver that he needs to take us to the dock they're like daca uno and trying to explain to this guy because nobody spoke portuguese on the ship and um and they were trying to explain they're like yes this is our ship <laughs> like this and it was at the moment the captain wanted to reach up from the floor and go and i am the captain <laughs> I am on the floor and we are moving. You can't stop. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> yes. So that was a good one. Oh, Not a car funny. story, but a very, very good one. I, I'd love to go. Oh, back they don't again. all need to be. Oh, that's a great one. I'm adding that to my bucket list. Yeah, no kidding. Not the blood part. Well, maybe the blood part. No, as long as it's not my blood part. Pirate experience. Yeah, exactly. The stabbing. Yeah, I, I feel like he almost went full a... Captain Jack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but why is the rum gone? Yeah. <laughs> but where's the rum? <laughs> exactly. Oh, exactly. that's funny. All right. So we should expand on the like in hypersport story. We can do that. I really. Please. <laughs> yeah. Please. Okay. So. so... Um, God, this story, man. Like, where do you want me to start? And like, <sighs> okay. So, uh, to give our our guests a little bit of a backstory, if you've seen one of the ten thousand times that Fast and the Furious has done things, yes, um, <laughs> they jumped a like. Well, allegedly, well, in the movie, they jumped a like in hype and sport, which is, well, Dan and I have interviewed the uh, CEO actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, cool. Uh, wow. They jumped yeah. it from a tower 
in uh, Dubai. Dubai. Well, okay, but in the movie. And so, and then after that, they took it, and there were some some of the cars that were they movie used cars that were in the show, the 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 jumping show the or movie, whatever it is. They might have had no, but I'm the, one of the, the the in the Fast and the Furious. Is what you're saying? Yes. Or are you talking yeah. about the live action show later? But but yeah, but did that car the car from that you got from the live action show? Did that come from the movie? Yeah, I think all that stuff was leftover stuff from the movie that went to the live action okay. show, as best I can tell. I'm going to let you start from there. I'm just giving a basis, of, so I guess, yeah. It's your story. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny because Ed Bo- – I can't remember when I heard about this, but Ed Bolian from Vinwiki, of Vinwiki fame, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. He is telling me this – the Lycan Hypersport body, the use in Fast and Furious – um, obviously the body came from the original molds, um, and they commissioned a bunch to be made instead of carbon fiber out of glass fiber, uh, for stunt cars and whatnot to be used in that. And, uh, as the story goes, this one made it to the Fast and Furious live action show, which was in England, uh, which is kind of like ice capades, but with cars. And, uh, <laughs> that sounds way bankrupt. more fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd rather it, see it that. Was, yeah. It was clever. It didn't last very long though. And, um, there were a couple of Lycan Hypersports left over from that. One that was on a, a platform that could drive, and another that was literally the world's most expensive Nerf gun that would be shot up on an air <laughs> cannon out of the front of an airplane. Ours was the Nerf gun, and uh, or the Nerf bullet, or whatever. And so what happened was this live-action show goes bankrupt. The British government seizes all the assets, renders all previous contracts moot, and, and the stuff ends up in a junkyard, Right. And so apparently all this stuff was supposed to be destroyed, but it, it's, it's since transversed like international everything and the British government and junkyards and changed hands and everything. And so it ends up coming to Ed. He got a Lamborghini Murcielago engine and this got this hypersport body along with it. And uh, he goes, Casey, this should be a genius garage build. It's brilliant. And I'm like, okay, yeah, it'd be cool to build a car with genius garage, but <laughs> like, dude, that's a lot of work. So Genius Garage, a nice gentleman. It's a actually, Nerf bullet, Ed. Yeah, yeah, it's like, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, the funny thing is, and Ed's a great guy. He knows a lot about cars, but he doesn't build cars. And I don't know if he fully understands or appreciates how much work we actually did <laughs> and how many miracles I pulled out of every single one of my human orifices to make this be possible. Um, <laughs> Just the so, human ones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and some, yeah. Uh, God only knows. <laughs> and yeah. so... So we get this, and a gentleman loading the money, actually, at Genius Garage, so that we could acquire the body from Ed and get the stuff we need to build it. Um, and it was really a great curriculum for the students in building it. They were super excited and pumped. Obviously, like in Hypersport, it's an amazing car. You know, there were, I think, six original ones. There were $3.4 million in Dubai. I drove the original prototype, met Ralph, drove the Fenrir Supersport, and they were awesome cars. Uh, it was based yeah. on the Roof CTR3, great platform, clearly. Yeah. Uh, and really cool that you get the, um, you know, Dubai has this cult- car culture scene and going that's just, you know, wildly um, uh, exclusive. It's excessive? Really cool. <laughs> I don't know if it's really excessive. Um, you know, my, you know, you're talking to a guy that I guess road trips with his pregnant wife in Murcielago. So, you know, this is, True. This is just, you know. <laughs> it's all relative. It's all, it's all relative. Uh, uh, trust me, though, I, I never lose sight of the value of a, a dollar or the value of an hour of work, which is probably why oh, I, I don't. Yeah, I I never got that impression for a second. I don't think I anybody who's it. ever seen your channel sees, sees that. Well, well, thank you. I, I just for anybody listening, I uh, yeah, I, I, I understand the absurdity of it and I can appreciate it. And everything is relative in different places of life. So anyway, um, 
genius garage with regard to this body, you know, we got to build a car with it. So we have to reverse, you know, engineer and figure out the frog DNA for Jurassic Park. Uh, the CTR3 was based on, you know, Porsche mechanicals. So we found the same Porsche platform that CTR3 was, which was the same in both the Boxster and the 911 from the firewall forward. Of course, we used the Boxster with the largest naturally aspirated engine at the time. Um, but you cannot simply put a Lycan Hypersport on a Boxster. That's not how this works. It's not a kit car. This was a one-off body leftover wrecked in a movie and live show from a stunt you know, that came from a, you know, hypercar. Um, so it was a tremendous amount of work, but when we started seeing how things worked with the Porsche mechanicals that would have been in the roof with the, with what was left of the body, it was, it was pretty awesome. And it was inspiring for the students. So there was a year of effectively building the car and doing all the mechanicals. Uh, we did make it a fully functioning car track tested it at mid Ohio at speed. Uh, we were the fastest car on the track that day, uh, even with, you know, Z06s and such being driven hard, which I took pride in. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, it was really good. And then, you know, the last year has been this car in pain because as you can imagine, when you build a body for a movie and then a live action show where they have CG touch up and they're going to launch out of an airplane, it's probably not going to be that nice afterward. So <laughs> it was an incredible body shop down in Chattanooga, Advanced Collision. Um, they also had a Porsche race team there. Porsche factory authorized collision center. And they were incredibly nice and donated the time to do all of the composite work and all of the painting uh, of this car. Wow. So it's now back. The genius garage students are finished and actually it's going to probably be completely finished on Friday. Um, and it's That's wow. so cool. It's exquisitely beautiful. The, the paint on this car uh, in every way uh, equals uh, the original like at Hypersports. So, so it's gorgeous. It's built on the same basic Porsche mechanicals. Uh, and while we're not going to throw the time and money at it to build major horsepower with, you know, a hair dryer, higher dryer turbo engine um, and uh, throw uh, giant ceramic brakes on it, uh, I know for a fact that the, the platform is every bit uh, of capable of being, it's already well balanced for the track, but um, you know, if somebody in the future owns it and they want to throw a heck of a lot of power at it, a heck of a lot of brakes, I, I know that it will perform uh, equal to the original car. Sorry, Ralph, but I, I drove both of the originals and I know what we got here and I, I know that it uh, will be able to perform just as well. So that was going to be my main question is, is has Lycan reached out to you on this? Have you have you been working with them? Oh, Are they involved? I brought I mean, that up. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's interesting because they wrote, reached out after a few Vinmecchio's videos when we we're doing this w motors the relationship manager there and uh you know first thing that happens is your heart sinks and go oh god am i going to get sued by the prancing horse of italy you know what I mean? it's kind yeah of a, it's not thing. So. <laughs> yeah uh, no w motors was super cool um they awesome. said they were watching yeah. and they liked it and uh they even offered if there was any assistance they could do uh, did a Zoom call after that. Uh, their one engineer gave us a couple of really good tips with relating to the doors because the nature of the way the doors open up on the Lycan Hypersport, um, yeah. I will say in the nicest way possible, was an engineering challenge of which gave him pain in his posterior. <laughs> ah, <laughs> um, the proper so, way to say a pain in the ass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, he, he helped us mitigate the giant pain in the ass. Uh, and actually, the doors work great. Um, but to, what is the name nice. for that door? Because it's 
It's a rear-facing yeah, like scissor rear butterfly. Reverse, scissor, reverse uh, butterfly? Uh, I don't know. What, should we call it like suicidal Lambo door or something? There you go. Suicidal <laughs> Lambo. There you go. You don't definitely want to drive with the doors open. Yeah. yeah. They had a great name for it. I kind of think it's 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 kind of like uh, if somebody cuts you off in traffic and you're really mad, it's like, hey! You know, I don't know. It's, <laughs> hey! Okay. That's, yeah. But uh, no, they're really yeah. cool. They're really cool. Um, you know, when we we're track testing it, though, since they're effectively suicide doors that open up, you know, my the engineer slash race mechanic and me is going, dear God, Latch, just don't fail at speed. I want to see this door <laughs> ripping off. It didn't, of course. But, uh, you know, I think of yeah. terrible things happening. Um, but uh, no, uh, W Motors was really cool. Um, and uh, to be perfectly honest, like Donut Media, as much as I love them, they did kind of a fluff hit piece on, you know, uh, W Motors oh, and like in yeah. Hypersport. Yeah. And I'm like, I saw this, and after I've been working with them, they reached out to students and everything. I'm like, well, this is total bull crap. So I, I immediately did a response video, and I'm like, this is total bull crap. <laughs> and I, so I wrote W Motors like in the video, and I'm like, hey, you guys. So I, I wrote it in better words than this. I'm like, so people are talking crap because you don't make many cars, and no one's test drive these. What do you think about me test driving them since I'm not an idiot, and I'll put it out here so people can like see the cars are real. And they're like, okay. And I was just like, gee, Donut Media, did you ever think about just being cool and reaching out and asking if you could drive it? Maybe they'll say yes. So yes. they did. And my wife and I flew to Dubai. And maybe this was silly, but I, I decided to go there on my own dollar uh, and just make it a vacation because I didn't want anybody to say that I was being paid by a company. And I was like, let's go drive yeah. cars and see what they're all about. You know, and, uh, you know, it's a small engineering company, obviously. And these are Halo cars. They build other things. You know, they're rebodying all the vehicles and getting them ready. So, like, all the new Dubai police vehicles are done by W Motors. Okay? So, yep. they do a lot of cool stuff. And when I was there, I got a thrash on the original Lycan Hypersport prototype for, like, three days. Um, through Dubai, outside of Dubai. We we took it to the Jebel J Mountain. Um, and I just absolutely obliterated this mountain going up. Which kind of made... i got to tell you this, too. So, Dubai is very much a police state they've got a, a speeding like camera every kilometer and yeah. so they have beautiful roads but you can't have any fun on them the speed limits are ridiculously low but everybody merges horrifically it's all like that family guy <laughs> skit where they don't put the t- i'm not put turn signal <laughs> Good luck, everybody on. Else. I <laughs> rock everybody else that is dubai 24 7 it's, it's bad man dan just, quotes just, that tons yeah. oh yeah that's yeah. dubai yeah. like just just let people go faster so we're on this mountain and yeah. i got the cameras going i'm going to show this and afterward i'm like oh my god like does dubai have any jurisdiction like i hope i don't you know they i broke every law going up the mountain in those cars like, <laughs> I, we just we just did it and so i don't know maybe maybe the dubai police are nicer to them because they made all their cop cars i don't i don't know but we had a great so. time that seems fair and, it was really fun. It was just like good. T- it was like normal times in, in Ohio, just driving fast with your buddies. We just happened to be in Dubai in more expensive cars and rip up to this mountaintop. It was beautiful, though. Oh, this is another magic moment. I got to tell you this, right? Everybody always says Dubai's a lot like Ohio. I've heard that a Me lot. Too. Yeah. It's yeah. just like yeah. Ohio. It's just, <laughs> it's just Dubai, Ohio. Same. I mean, same. Yeah, same, it's same, same. same. <laughs> it's for a car guy, right? It's like, we're going to drive fast exactly. and have fun with our buddies. And that's what I did. Yeah. So. But at the top of this mountain, there was apparently a sheik or somebody that was going to put his palace up there. So he's like, now build my driveway, squiggly and long. And then he decides, yeah, I'm not going to build a palace up here. But the driveway that's squiggly and long is there. And now it's the road. But it goes nowhere. 
So they built like the world's longest zip line up there at like, I don't know, 9,000 foot elevation. <laughs> it goes down to the bottom of the mountain. And there's a restaurant. And so we go to the restaurant. It was, it was really neat. Like I walk into this not expecting anything. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, you look out at this balcony. It's a beautiful balcony. It was also interesting because it's Christmas in the Middle East and there's a Christmas tree. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I, I walk out and it's beautiful. And I'm in the balcony. We're above the clouds. The clouds are forming over the sheer peak below and going underneath. You can see it. I was like, my God, this is amazing. And so we sit down. We're having this beautiful lunch. I'm eating salmon and sipping cappuccino in the Middle East on a mountaintop with new pals from all over. And one random white buddy of mine from Ohio. Yes, he killed all the way with me to be a camera guy. You know, and but it was kind of neat, too, because um, there was um, – let me think about this for oh, my mouth. I over to my left there was a, a you know a traditional Arab family over the left, and obviously we're you know we're who we are. And uh, there was another family. I think they were traveling. They were Hindu off to the right. So it was kind of cool because at that very cool moment on the mountaintop with the cars was kind of like a neat cultural melding pot. It just it was just an awesome moment. But anyway, and then um, so the trip to Dubai uh, the last night there. Um, obviously it's blazing hot in the day. Um, so they had rented the Dubai Autodrome which is the road race track there in town. And um, they let me track the Fenrir. So I did, in fact, uh, put the Fenrir through its paces really well. Um, I was like, I immediately went into race driver tuner mode. And I was like talking to them and the CEO. and like, guys, we got to change the spring rate and dampening on this thing. It's kind of pushing a lot. I want to do this, that, and the other thing. And it was an <laughs> awesome car. And, you know, it's funny because Donut Media is like trying to say, oh, they overheat. Oh, they don't do this. Oh, duh. Yeah, the car's never overheated once anytime in Dubai. You can't have track, a hard, like, car that overheats mountains. in Dubai. Yeah. No, or, yeah. you know, on the track, they were great. Um, yeah, it was an awesome platform. And I, I kind of, I was, I was like secretly hoping, I'm like, just hire me for a weekend. Let me set up your car. I want to put it on a, I just wanted to put it on a corner weight scale and just set it up for the track so bad. It would have been awesome. But um, <laughs> no, I, I, re- I really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, they were cool about the Genus Garage. Like, and, and what we decided to do is we kind of called ours the Super Legera um, because we made ours a bit lighter. Um, obviously, in building a custom car, we don't have to do a lot of the same things. We're not selling to um, somebody that wants something for the street. So, you know, we could get away with things like a little less sound deadening. We were able to put a, a little more space in the cockpit so you can actually fit a taller person. Um, we did not do side glass, so it could be a little more track-like. Um, so our car is is actually quite light. And I was really keen on, you know, Genius Graduate students and teaching them and helping and setting it up and getting the car really balanced well for the track and driving. So it's, it's actually a really cool car. Uh, w Motors was super cool to work with. They're real people. If you're just cool and reach out, you know, maybe they'll do yep. something with you. But uh, it was a great experience. Um, it's kind of, I guess, kind of amazing because nobody's really gotten to drive those cars. Um, I think for almost all, I think all but one were sold to China and a couple of them were sold to the same guy. Probably went to some yeah. ridiculous big collection. The other one I heard was in America for like a hot second and then went to South America to a wealthy client. You know, obviously I, I don't have. That's when we saw yeah. Yeah. I don't have proof of that other than him telling me that. But I can say this in a vague way. There are many people in the world who are of a social economic class that they want to and also remain ghosts. And that includes with their car collection. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we see that um, a lot actually around here. Yeah. I'm not I'm not pulling that out of an orifice. I, no. I you know, I can say that. So. Do I know for a fact that six like and hypersports exist? No, 
but I have no reason to believe they don't. Yeah. We've seen that here many, many times over the years where we like, we didn't even know anybody had this car and existed and it's been in our backyard because there's so much tech money in the Northwest. Right. And that, it's that not happened this weekend with the McLaren with the McLaren. Yeah. Uh, SLR Sterling Moss. Yeah. yeah. And it's oh, been cool. here for how long? And we're like, it just means yeah. down the road. Like literally it's probably yeah. it lived 10 minutes from, from here. Okay. To be fair, we knew it existed, but others didn't. Right. Yeah. We, <laughs> yeah, we had talked to you, yeah. but I mean, so, it's yeah. like, but, but they don't drive it around. They're not flashing it. They just, they just have this as part of their collection. They didn't bring it out yeah. to last weekend. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool that they were like that though. Cause when we interviewed um, uh, Ralph and the guys from like in hypersport or W motor, excuse me, mm-hmm. it was cool how passionate they were about the engineering in the car. A lot of guys you talk to or, or people assume I've, I've heard this in conversation from the people and, we're fortunate that when we do a lot of stuff down in Monterey, we meet a lot of people. They just assume people are a certain way, owners of companies, um, things like yeah. that. Like there, there's a status that goes with it. And I think Ferrari kind of breeds that a little bit with their marketing, but not a sure. lot of the guys we've met are actually that way. When we met um, the Pagani family, for example, super passionate about engineering and how everything fits and the materials they use. Like they love the engineering behind their cars. And we got the same impression from W Motors. Like this was a big deal to them that everything worked really well and was engineered really well. And Indeed. it was, you know, they understand the marketing behind it, but there's a huge engineering geek aspect that they really, they're really into. It's not just somebody pushing pencils and like, well, you know, your designer, but yeah, give me something to sell well, at a high price. Yeah, for sure. Well, and the Middle East is, is honestly a strange place to most Americans because they don't go there. And Dubai is <laughs> a city of wonders, really. Um, so, you know, we see things like thinking that, oh my gosh, Everybody in Dubai only drives $10 million Bugattis and they're all gold plated and money flows from their pockets and they leave gold bars and taxi cabs and they're driven by Falcons, you know, and, and, you know, this is sort of how to be fair. Think. Some of that's true. Okay. <laughs> yes. Hey, if if As you a, can't get your Falcon to drive your Bugatti, you don't have anything. <laughs> the falconing so option is a Bentley option. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The falconing option is a Bentley, Bentley SUV option. Well, fair enough. Totally. And, and it's an interesting thing for some of the Genius Garage <laughs> students I've had that have come from another country and they come here and Genius Garage ends up being their like, you know, introduction uh, to what America actually is. You know, so many people from other countries just see the news and they're like, America is like the Wild West and everybody's running around with an AR-15 shooting wildly in the air with no gun laws and cars and cowboys and they drink gasoline in Tombstone, Arizona. Like... <laughs> No, <laughs> that's, to be fair, that's Idaho. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, so my, my question is this, and maybe the answer: What happens to the cars after you build them? Do they do yeah. they get sold and then they support the Genius Garage? Um, sometimes. So, as an example, <clears throat> um, the cars for Genius Garage, we're, we're not trying to just have like a big collection or you know thing like this. So, yeah. uh, it's a curriculum. We have things. Sometimes things are donated. Incredibly, last year, the Lotus T125 Exosphere F1 car that was driven by Jeremy Clarkson, yeah. the stick on top here, was donated to Genius Garage. So, you know, these are amazing things that are a part of an engineering curriculum and whatnot. So the Lycan, as an example, obviously we're building it and it will be finished. And But that is a car that, I'll be honest, um, is ending its usefulness in terms of its utility of teaching to Genius Garage. So... We will be looking to, frankly, sell it. And I am hoping, as the person who has put blood, sweat, and tears trying to build an organization, that there will be some well-heeled enthusiasts out there that want to fight over it, because that will obviously help the program grow and exist more in the future. So cars are kept as long as they fulfill value to a curriculum and such. 
uh, we try to be mindful with any expenditures and sales. And sometimes they're sold if we just aren't going to do something with it. Um, actually, this past year, we sold a really cool little Tame Prototipo prototype racing car that we had restored. Uh, we're keeping it around, but we had the Exosphere and the Daytona donated. So sorry, Tame Prototipo, you're kind of just went down the totem pole. Well, lessons were learned and cars, a beautiful car was restored. So that's the important thing. And, and somebody gained a wonderful car. So, well, hundred percent. Yeah. And, and that car yeah. did launch some, some amazing careers. So it, uh, and obviously that money goes to genius grads, the 501 C three. Um, and nobody gets paid for teaching. Um, so the money stays with tools, projects, you know, travel, keeping the lights on, things like that. So that, that's the other reason why we've actually been able to keep a nonprofit functioning this long. And I've had some past donors say to us, you're literally the only thing we've ever donated to that's continued. Well, thank you, but you know, we're trying. So that's yeah. sort of the point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's, uh, what's next? I mean, for not Casey just Genius Garage, Genius for you. Garage or... Yeah, for you. Let's talk. Oh, yeah, what yeah. do you want to be when you grow up? Jeez. Yeah. You know, it's, well, I'll tell you what's next. So in July, uh, my wife is due with our first child, which will be a baby girl. Yeah. So fingers Congratulations. crossed. Thank you. Uh, you know, I'm excited. Um, I have been banished from my office upstairs, which will be a nursery. So I've removed all the cool man things and I am renovating the basements. <laughs> and okay. so we will uh i will have to somehow baby proof a house that has motorcycles and swords in it uh, we'll, we'll, i'll work on that but um <laughs> and paint my old she office she won't be paint. moving that far for that long you'll be fine you got at least another year and a half two years before the evening yeah, so, yeah yeah we'll just we'll just teach her defense she'll get a scholarship one day it's genius that's right? probably true actually yeah. how many people can you know apply to college and be like i can fence while riding a ducati what can you do i learned when i was right? two <laughs> I'm going to get that picture. I'm going to take that. That's going to be brilliant. I'm taking that picture. <laughs> oh, you got to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, yeah. okay. Um, where, where, so, yeah, so there's a kid on the way, right? And um, yeah. YouTube's still going to be a thing. Um, YouTube for me, I didn't dream to be a so-called influencer or YouTuber. Um, my dreams are more shall we say tangible racing in, in the world? Yeah. Racing and building and doing stuff like that, <laughs> adventuring, et cetera. Um, so for me, YouTube is something to connect with. I'm not trying to be like the, the world's biggest court jester with cars and a fishbowl. Um, so because of that, my channel is not going to be as big as others. I'm sure. Um, I will rub some people the wrong way by being truthful because no one else will say the truth about certain things. And, and, and I'm okay with that because I would rather it be a tool to connect with, the, the real world and other people and try to forward and do things in the real world. So that's kind of where I'm going with there. Uh, in terms of racing, what's in store for this year? Um, obviously, um, mentoring the students with Genius Garage, our intention with that program, which I don't really consider racing because it's, it's engineering and we only really race a little bit for the sake of engineering. It's not like, yay, Casey's going racing. That's not, that's not what that is. Um, so there's some stuff going on with that. Obviously, with Daytona Prototype and getting the Exosphere out. You know, I'm mentoring some students with cart racing and taking them out. So I, I cart race. Um, but I'm working with the Meyer family of Legacy Autosport. And that's uh, Mike, uh, okay. who's my age, and then Butch, his father. And they are the great-grandson and grandson of Louis Meyer, who is the first three-time Indy 500 winner and also the person who started the milk tradition. Um, and they're just awesome guys, real racers, real people, uh, feel part of the family. 
Um, Butch Meyer was amazing. He restored a sprint car for Genius Garage. Just all of his own time donated. He just, he just started going to town. Um, so Genius Garage has got a sprint car that'll be out. Uh, but uh, Mike and I are planning some bigger racing stuff. So I did a road to Indy test last year in a Pro 2000, uh, which I was trying not to hurt the car because, like, you know, race cars are expensive when you wreck them. You know what I mean? Yep. And I, I don't yep. have the net worth <laughs> of these young drivers who pay to drive on the road to Indy typically. So, um, but I got a nice test in it. So we are looking at some cool things, kind of a more old school way. But my my life ambition is I want to drive an Indy 500. I am on the old side, but I don't care <laughs> because I'm too stupid to know I'm old. Um, so, you know, <laughs> what the heck? Hey, but, he's like um, us. Yeah. 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 Right. Us, ch- us young children of the young 80s or late you know, 70s. There, yeah. There's been guys yeah. racing in the Indy 500 yeah. in their 40s. So I'm, I'm not, yeah. I'm not giving up until they tell Heck me yeah. I have to, you know, come on. Even Mario at his age now is still like, I, I still want to run. They're like, okay, dad, calm down, you know. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so put your glasses um, on. Yeah. We're, we're uh, going to build some Silver Crown cars and um, there, there could be some Mindy Lights tests in the future. We'll see. But, um, you know, it, I, I hate to say it, but modern day racing does come down to business and money. Um, I yeah. do not come from the background that can can spend that kind of money. So the only way, sadly, I will be able to achieve that lifelong ambition is in by partnering up in some sort of hopefully mutually beneficial way on a large scale level where that kind of economic uh, financial horsepower can find traction. Um, but, uh, Mike and I, the old school guys, we're going to keep building and wrenching with our dreams. Um, really excited about maybe doing some silver crown stuff. Cause that is good old fashioned, badass American oval racing. Uh, and Indy lights <laughs> is obviously one step under Indy car. So I think if you can get out and do pretty well with some of that stuff, then you've, you've checked off all the boxes. So it really just comes down to, will the business happen? And you know, you got to leverage what you got. And I'd like to think that, um, you know, with the exposure I've been able to come by uh, through YouTube on my own channel and then Wiki, that that will make the difference. Um, because, you know, I, I ran the numbers of the Indy 500 um, and the NTT IndyCar series and even my small channel. Um, heck, the second year I did it was getting the same amount of views as the entirety of the NTT IndyCar series worldwide. So... I hope somebody out there gets it one Something. day, you know? So, but, um, <laughs> well, I mean, you're having fun, you're doing some cool stuff and you're trying. giving back a lot. So I hope that comes back to you and somebody makes it happen. Cause that'd be awesome. Well, it's kind of you to say, but I think I, you're putting enough good you know, out in the world. Yeah. I'm trying. It, it does seem like the world has been a little kinder. The universe has smiled upon me a little bit more in the last couple of years. My wife and I finally got to get our first house. It was a fixer upper. It's looking good. We have a, a, a little girl on the way. That's amazing. Um, I, I'm so fortunate and, you know, YouTube has allowed me to make a living while being able to mentor students where I don't get paid because if I can't make something a living, I, I can't volunteer my time, you know, and I just, I just refuse to quit on genius grudge. I should have, it was stupid that I did it, but I didn't. And actually the person that got behind donating the Lotus Exosphere to genius grudge, which let's not undersell that, that car, that was a million dollar car when it was new 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and they only sold like five of them because it was way too extreme for normal people. It made way more downforce than the current F1 car and was faster than all F1 cars up to that point. It's, it's a Bond villain car. Um, but the only reason that was donated to Genius Garage is one, it's not just about like tax write-offs and BS like that. The, the people that got behind it 
genuinely cared about Genius Garage more than their expensive toy. And they had been watching the program and me over the years and, and saw the struggles, saw the fight, saw all the good that it was done and saw that it was being done right. And they're like, you know what? Here, have fun. So it's pretty amazing. Well, I mean, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about it. It's been uh, quite a, uh, a an adventure. I didn't think we'd be, uh, and I, I, you know, I thought about this. I talked to Dan. I was like, you know, who we're interviewing tonight. Like, it, it kind of clicked. Like, because I've watched a lot of your stuff, obviously. Yeah, that crazy weirdo. And, uh, really enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He's gonna get us. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> we really appreciate. It. Thanks for putting all that good out into the world and 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 teaching those things. I think that's important. And you know, we we are big supporters of that. And and we'll you know like to talk about it so. thank you yeah. well i got the receding hairline yeah. to prove all the stress from the students but hopefully it was worth it it's okay that's fine well, it just yeah. makes the helmet fit better that's what hats are for yeah it's good for a good <laughs> so uh, top speed absolutely yeah. weight savings <laughs> uh for our listeners and viewers if you want to go find casey you can find him on youtube instagram uh website is there any other places you want to tell people to go because so i will gladly plug anything you put up there yeah, and of course there will uh, be links on the show description casey putch c-a-s-e-y last name putch spelled like the german rebellion uh, p-u-t-s-c-h um, <laughs> i'm really easy to find obviously genius garage is really easy to find uh vin wiki uh awesome place for car channels got a bunch of stories on there uh i'm yes i'm frighteningly easy to find and there's plenty of absurdity out there and i uh you can find everything from serious awesome to zany fun so open it it's all you. interesting though and if you like if you like the stories you heard today or listen saw today i'm still used to getting the getting used to the video thing 230 episodes or 25 episodes of audio and then switching to video is still throwing me off but uh yeah man it's I hope we can send people, more people your way, and I hope to see your success all the way to Indy because it'll be a great story and a great ride for the rest of us too. Well, so. thank you very much. I can only imagine how cool it would be uh, one day. Just It's not Genius Garage. It's more of a me thing and maybe the Meyer family. But, you know, the Meyer family, it, I think it's in four years, marks the 100th anniversary of when the great-granddad was first there. And their family goes back a few decades before Andretti or Unzer was ever heard about. So I really hope that together we can get back there. Uh, I'd love to f help fulfill that for their family getting back to Indy for the 100th anniversary. Um, and heck, if I can find a way to claw myself in a seat too, that would be great. But even if we go there as team owners and whatnot, uh, really want to be able to make that happen and bring that Indianapolis uh 500 history full circle for the Meyer family. For sure. Can't wait to see it. Well, for this episode of the Avance podcast, I'm Nick. I'm Dan. And don't just get there. Enjoy the drive. <laughs>